Chapter 22 of The Art of Travel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Art of Travel by Sir Francis Galton. Fire. General Remarks. Although, in the teeth of every precaution, fires constantly break out, yet, when a traveller wants a light, and does not happen to have any of his ingenious fire-making contrivances at hand, it is very difficult for him to obtain it. And further, those sparks, of their own accord and in the most unlikely places, too often give rise to conflagrations, yet it requires much skill and practice to succeed without fail in coaxing a small spark into a serviceable campfire. Therefore, every traveller should carry in his person the means of procuring a light under ordinary circumstances of wind and weather that is to say he should have in his pocket a light handy steel a flint or an agate and amadou or other tinder i also strongly recommend that he should carry a bundle of half a dozen fine splinters of wood like miniature toothpicks thinner and shorter than lucifer matches whose points he has dipped in melted sulphur also a small spare lump of sulphur of the size of a pea or bean in reserve the cook should have a regular tinder box such as he happens to have been used to and an abundance of wax lucifers paper fuses are not worth taking in travel as wet entirely spoils them there are usually three separate agents in making a fire each of which may be varied in many ways and requires separate description one the spark or other lights to start with. 2. The tinder, that is, some easily ignited and smouldering substance. 3. Fuel, judiciously applied to the burning tinder or some other feeble light, so as to develop it into a serviceable fire. To obtain fire from the sun. Burning glasses. The object glass and every other convex glass of the telescope is a burning glass and has only to be unscrewed to be fit for use. The object lenses of an opera glass are very efficient. The larger the glass and the shorter its focus, the greater is its heating power. Convex spectacle glasses and eyeglasses are too small and of too long a focus to be used with effect, except when the sun is very hot. An old-fashioned watch glass filled with water and having the rays of a powerful sun glittered down upon it vertically by help of a mirror will give light. Dr. Kane and other Arctic travellers have made burning glasses of ice. Reflectors The inside of the polished metal cover of a hunting watch will sometimes converge a sufficiency of rays to burn. The vestal fire of Rome and the sacred fire of the Mexicans were obtained by means of reflectors. If I understand aright, they consisted of a stone with a conical hollow carefully polished. The apex of the hollow comb was a right angle the tinder was held in the axis of the cone. See Tyler's Early History of Mankind. Black tinder, tinder that is black by previous charring, or from any other cause, ignites in the sun far sooner than light-coloured tinder. Fire by conversion of motion into heat. General remarks. When a moving body is arrested, heat is given out, the quantity of heat being in exact proportion to the mass multiplied into the square of its velocity. Thus, if a cannonball be fired at an iron target, both it and the ball become exceedingly hot. 
There is even a flash of light when the velocity of the ball is very high. When bullets are fired with heavy charges at a target, the lead is just melted by the heat of impact, and it splashes, to use a common phrase. It is obvious from these two examples that no velocity which the hand of man is able to give to a steel when striking a flint, or to one stick rubbing against another stick, will be competent to afford a red-hot temperature, unless the surface against which impact or friction is made be very small, or unless great care be taken to avoid the wasteful dissipation of heat. The spark made by a flint and steel consists of a thin shaving of steel, scraped off by the flint, and heated by the arrested motion. When well struck, the spark is white-hot, and at that temperature it burns with bright scintillations in the air, just as iron that is merely red-hot burns in pure oxygen. This is the theory. Now for the practice. Flints If we may rely on a well-known passage in Virgil concerning Aeneas and his comrades, fire was sometimes made in ancient days by striking together two flints. But I confess myself wholly unable to light tinder with flints alone, and I am equally at a loss to understand what were the dry leaves that they are said in the same passage to have used for tinder. Neither can I obtain fire except with flint and steel, or at least hardened iron. A flint and ordinary iron will not give an available spark. Flints may be replaced by any siliceous stone, as agate, rock crystal, or quartz. Agate is preferred to flint, for it gives a hotter spark. It is sold by tobacconists. A partly siliceous stone, such as granite, will answer in default of one that is wholly siliceous. I have been surprised at finding that crockery and porcelain of all kinds will make a spark, and sometimes a very good one. There are cases where a broken teacup might be the salvation of many lives in a shipwrecked party. On coral reefs and other coasts destitute of flinty stones, search should be made for driftwood and drifted seaweed. In the roots of these, the pebbles of other shores are not infrequently entangled, and flint may be found among them. The joints of bamboos occasionally contain enough silex to give a spark. Steels The possession of a really good steel is a matter of great comfort in rough travel, for, as I have just said, common iron is incompetent to afford a useful spark, and hardened iron or soft steel is barely sufficient to do so. Any blacksmith will make a good steel out of an old file, if he has nothing more appropriate at hand. A substitute for steel can be made, even by an ordinary traveller, out of common iron, by means of case-hardening. The link of a chain, or the heel of a boot, or a broken horseshoe, is of a convenient shape for the purpose. Pyrites are, and have been, widely used for the striking sparks. Two pieces struck together, or one piece struck with a steel, gives a good spark. But it is a very friable mineral, and therefore not nearly so convenient as flint. Guns If you wish to get a light by means of a flint and steel gun, the touch hole may be stuffed up and a piece of tinder put among the priming powder. A light can be obtained in that way without firing the gun. With a percussion cap gun, a light may be obtained by putting powder and tinder outside the nipple and round the cap. It will, 
though not with certainty, catch fire on exploding the cap. But the common way with a gun is to pour in a quarter of a charge of powder, and above it, quite loosely, a quantity of rag or tinder. On firing the gun straight up in the air, the rag will be shot out, lighted. You must then run after it as it falls and quickly pick it up. With percussion caps, gunpowder and tinder, and without a gun, a light may sometimes be had on an emergency by scratching and boring with a knife, or or nail, at the fulminating composition in the cap, till it explodes. But a cap is a somewhat dangerous thing to meddle with, as it often flies with violence and wounds. Crushing gunpowder with hard stones may possibly make it explode. Lucifers An inexperienced hand will waste an entire boxful of them, and yet will fail in lighting a fire in the open air on a windy day. The convenience of lucifers in obtaining a light is very great, but they have two disadvantages. They require that the air should be perfectly still, while the burning sulphur is struggling to ignite the stick. And, again, when the match is thrust among the wood, the sticks upon which it has to act have not been previously warmed, and consequently, though one or two of them may become lighted, the further progress of the fire is liable to cease. On the other hand, in methods where the traveller begins with tinder and blows its spark into a flame, the adjacent wood becomes thoroughly heated by the process, and the flame, once started, is almost certain to maintain itself. Consequently, in lighting a fire with lucifers, be careful to shield the match from the wind, by throwing a cloak or saddle-cloth or something else over the head whilst you operate. And secondly, to have abundance of twigs of the smaller sizes, that there may be no uncertainty of the lucifer match being able to light them, and set the fire a-going. In a steady downfall of rain, you may light a match for a pipe under your horse's belly. If you have the paper to spare, it is a good plan to twist it into a hollow cone, to turn the cone with its apex to the wind, and immediately after rubbing the match, to hold it inside the cone. The paper will become quickly heated by the struggling flame, and will burst into a miniature conflagration, too strong to be puffed out by a single blast of air. Wax lucifers are undoubtedly better than wooden ones, for in damp weather wooden ones will hardly burn. But wax is waterproof, and independent of wet or dry. When there is nothing dry at hand, to rub the lucifer match against, scratch the composition on its head with the edge of a knife, or with the fingernail. It is a sure way of lighting it, and with care there is no need of burning the fingers. Fire sticks. In every country without exception, where inquiry has been made, the method of obtaining fire by rubbing one stick against another has been employed. In savage countries the method still remains in present use. In nearly all the more civilised ones, it has been superseded within historic periods by flints and steels and the like, and within this present generation by lucifer matches. The only instance I know in which flints are said to have preceded fire sticks is in the quotation below from Pliny, a light has also been obtained in prehistoric times, as I've already mentioned, by reflecting the sun from a hollow surface. But this method required costly apparatus, and could never have been in common use. Hence, although, so far as I'm aware, the Bible and Homer and other records of great antiquity are absolutely silent on the contemporary methods of procuring fire, and although Pliny says the reverse, I think we are justified in believing that the plan of rubbing sticks together was absolutely universal in the barbaric influency of the human race.
In later Greek history, Prometheus is accredited with the invention of fire sticks. Among the Romans, both Seneca and Pliny write about them. Pliny says, at hist, XVI 76-77, There is heat in the mulberry, in the bay laurel, in ivy, and in all plants whence fire sticks are made. The experience of soldiers reconnoitring for encamping grounds, and that of shepherds, made this discovery. For a stone is not always at hand whence a spark might be struck. One piece of wood, therefore, is rubbed by another, and it catches fire through the friction, where a dry, tindery substance, fungus and leaves are the most easily attainable, is used to perpetuate the fire. Nothing is better than ivy used as a stick to be rubbed, and bay laurel as the stick to rub with. Wild vine, not the labrusca, is also found good. I have made a great many experiments with different kinds of wood, having procured an assortment of those used by the fancy toy-makers of Tunbridge Wells, and the chippings from botanical gardens. I find what I have heard from savages to be quite true, viz. that it is much more difficult to procure good wood for the fire-block than for the drill-stick. Any tough, hard and dry stick will do for the latter, but the fire-block must be of wood with little grain, of a middle degree of softness, readily inflammable, and, I presume, a good non-conductor of heat. But I do not know if there be much difference in this latter respect between woods of the same quality. If it be too hard, the action of the drill-stick will merely dent and polish it. If very soft, it will be worn away before the friction has time to heat it sufficiently. Ivy is excellent. I find it not at all difficult to produce smoke, it is much more difficult to produce fire, with a broken fishing-rod, or ramrod as a drill-stick, and a common wooden pill-box, or tooth-powder-box, as a fire-block. Walnut also does as a fire-block, and the stock of a gun is a walnut. Deal and mahogany are both worthless for fire-sticks. It is well so to notch the fire-block that the wood-dust, as it is formed by the rubbing, should all run into one place. It will then glow with a smouldering heat, ready to burst out into an available flame, with a very little fanning. As soon as a degree of heat sufficient to ignite tinder has been attained, Tinder is a great convenience in ensuring that the fire, once obtained, shall not be lost again. But it is not essential to have it. There are many ways of rubbing the sticks together, in use among different nations. Those curious in the matter should consult Tyler's Early History of Mankind, but the traveller will not obtain much assistance from these descriptions, as it will be out of his power to obtain fire by any but the simplest of them on a first trial. He is only likely to see it at first by working at leisure, with perfectly dry wood. Even savages, who practice the art all their lives, fail to procure fire in very wet weather, when the shelter is bad. Of the plans employed by savages, the simplest is that in use both in South Africa and in Australia. The Australian blacks use the flower stem of the grass tree, which is of a tough, pithy nature, and about one inch in diameter. The operation of making the fire is assisted by the use of a little charcoal powder, which, in Australia, is found on the bark of almost every tree, from the constant passage of grass fires over the ground. The process is as follows. One piece of the stick is notched in the middle, and the notch slightly hollowed out. Another is roundly pointed at one end. The black fellow, being seated on the ground, holds down one end of the notch stick with each foot and placing the point of the other stick into the notch, twirls it rapidly and forcibly between the palms of his hands. 
In doing this, his hands gradually slip down the stick, and he has to shift them up rapidly again, which loses time. But two people seated opposite can alternately take up the rubbing and more easily produce fire. A little of the above-mentioned powdered charcoal is dropped into the notch during the operation. In a very few minutes, red-hot powdery ashes commence to work up out of the notch, which, falling on a small heap of tow or dry tow-like bark, or lint, or cotton stuff, is quickly blown into a flame. The Africans carry the drill stick, which in shape and size is like an arrow, in a quiver with their arrows, and the fire block, a stick three inches long and one in diameter, of a different wood, as a pendant to their necklace. A plan more practicable to an unpractised hand is that in use among some of the North American Indians. I copy the illustration of it from Schoolcraft's work upon those people. One person works the drill stick with a rude bow, and with his other hand holds a piece of stone or wood above it, both to steady it and to give the requisite pressure. Gentle at first, and increasing judiciously, up to the critical moment when the fire is on the point of bursting out. Another man puts his hands on the lower piece of wood, the fire block, to steady it, and holds a piece of tinder ready to light it as soon as the fire is produced. If a serious emergency should occur, it is by no means hopeless to obtain fire after this method. A large party have considerable advantages over only one or two men, because as the work is fatiguing, the men can undertake it in turns, and again, as considerable knack is required for success, it is much more probable that one man out of many should succeed, than that only one man, taken at hazard, should do so. But the best plan of all for a party of three or more men is for one of them to hold the upper block, another to hold the lower block, and the tinder, should there be any, and the third man to cause the drill stick to rotate. He will effect this best by dispensing with the bow, and simply by using a string or thong of a yard or four feet long. He makes one or two turns with a string around the drill stick, and then holding one end of the string in either hand, he soars away with all his force. I believe that a party of three men, furnished with dry wood of an appropriate quality and plenty of string, would surely produce smoke on the first few trials, but that they would fail in producing fire. If, however, they had a couple of hours' leisure to master the knack of working these sticks, I think they would succeed in producing fire before the end of that time. The period of time necessary for a successful operation is from one to three minutes. It is of little use fatiguing yourself with sustaining the exertion for a longer period at a time, unless the wood becomes continuously hotter. As soon as the temperature remains uniform, it shows you that you have let the opportunity slip. It is then the best economy of effort to desist at once, to rest, to take breath, and recommence with fresh vigour. Fire by chemical means. It is not in the province of this book to describe the various matches that take fire by dipping them into compositions, and I have already spoken of lucifer matches in the last section. Only one source of fire remains to be noticed. It is spontaneous combustion. It is conceivable that the property which masses of greasy rags and such-like matter possess of igniting when left to themselves might, under some circumstances, be the only means available to procure fire. 
It is at all events well that this property should be borne in mind when warehousing stores, in order to avoid the risk of their taking fire. Any oil mixed with a hatful of shavings, towel, cotton, wool or rags, heaped together, will become very hot in one, two or more days, and will ultimately burst into flame. The rapidity of the process is increased by warmth. Tinder General Remarks there are two divisions of tinder, those that are of a sufficiently strong texture to admit of being grasped in the hand, and those that are so friable as to require a box to hold them. In the first division, A, are the following. Amadon, a roll of rag, a cotton lampwick, a roll of touch paper, a mass of hair of a certain plants, and a long string of pith sewed up in a sheath. To ignite these, we must hold them and use the steel to strike downwards upon the flint. In the second division, B, are tinder of burnt rags, tinder of any kind with grains of gunpowder strewed over it, and touchwood. All these require tinder boxes, as explained below. There are also many other substances belonging to both divisions of tinder in use. A traveller should inform himself about those peculiar to the country that he visits. A amaku, punk, or German tinder, is made from a kind of fungus or mushroom that grows on the trunks of old oaks, ashes, beeches, etc. Many other kinds of fungus, and, I believe, all kinds of puffballs, will also make tinder. It should be gathered in August or September, and is prepared by removing the outer bark with a knife, and separating carefully the spongy yellowish mass that lies within it. This is cut into thin slices, and beaten with a mallet to soften it, till it can easily be pulled asunder between the fingers. It's then boiled in a strong solution of saltpetre. A roll of rag. Cotton rag will easily take fire from the spark from a flint, in a very dry climate, if well struck. It must be rolled up moderately tight, so as to have the end of the roll fluffy, the rag having been torn, not cut. A rag rolled in this way is not bad tinder, if the sparks are strong, and one commences to blow it the instant one of the fires is seen to be alight. If its fluffy end be rubbed into a little dry gunpowder, its property as tinder is greatly improved. Cotton lampwick. A piece of it drawn through a tin tube, to shield the previously charred part from being rubbed off, is excellent in dry climates. Touch paper is merely paper dipped in a solution of saltpetre, or what comes to nearly the same thing and is somewhat better. Paper smeared with damp gunpowder until it is blackened. Some grains of uncrushed gunpowder should be left adhering to the paper, and a few more should be allowed to lie loosely upon it. Unsized paper, like that out of a blotting book, is the best suited for making into touch paper. Paper is rendered unsized by being well soaked and washed in water. Saltpeter for Tinder in all cases, the presence of saltpetre makes tinder burn more hotly and more fiercely, and saltpetre exists in such great quantities in the ashes of many plants, as tobacco, dill, maize, sunflower, that these can be used just as they are, in the place of it. Thus, if the ashes of a cigar be well rubbed into a bit of paper, they convert it into touch paper. So will gunpowder, but out of four parts of it, three are saltpetre. Damaged gunpowder may be used for making touch paper. If it were an object to prepare a store of tinder, 
a strong solution of saltpetre in water should be obtained, and the paper, or rags, or fungus, dipped into it and hung to dry. This solution may be made by pouring a little water on a charge of gunpowder, or on the ashes above mentioned, which will dissolve the saltpetre out of them. Boiling water makes a solution forty-fold stronger than ice-cold water, and about eight times stronger than water at sixty degrees Fahrenheit. Hair of Plants The silky down of a particular willow, S. lanata, was used by the Eskimo, with whom Dr. Kane had intercourse, and the botanist Dr. Lindley once informed me that he had happened to receive a piece of particularly excellent tinder that was simply the hair of a tree fern. The gamutti tinder of the eastern archipelago is the hair of a palm. Pith Many kinds of pith are remarkable as tinders, that whence the well-known pith hats are made, is used as tinder in India. Pieces of pith are often sewn around with thick cotton or silk, so as to form a long cord like the cotton lampwick I have described above, and they are carried in tubes for the same reason. We now come to the different kinds of tinder that fall into our second division, namely those that are too friable to bear handling. Rags. Charred linen rags make the tinder that catches fire most easily, that burns most hotly when blown upon, and smoulders most slowly when left to itself, of any kind of tinder that is to be generally obtained. In making it the rags are lighted, and when in a blaze, and before they are burnt to white ashes, the flame is stifled out. It is usual to make this kind of tinder in the box intended to hold it, but it can easily be made on the ground in the open air by setting lights to the rag and dropping pinches of sand upon the flaming parts as soon as it is desired to quench them. The sand is afterwards brushed away and the tinder gently extricated. Touchwood is an inferior sort of tinder, but it is always to be met with in woody countries. Dry dung. Dry and powdered cattle dung, especially horse dung, will take a spark, but with trouble. After it is lighted, it can be kept burning with little difficulty. Tinder boxes. There are three ways of striking a flint. In the first, tinder that is tough enough to bear handling is grasped together with the flint. When no tinder box is at hand, the more friable kinds of tinder as touchwood, may be enveloped in a roll of rag and be used. In the second, tinder may be laid on the ground, and sparks may be struck upon it. The household tinder boxes of thirty years ago, before lucifers were invented, were for use in this way. In the third, sparks may be struck into a small tinder box. It is the method most commonly adopted by travellers. For instance, it is universally used in South Africa and in North America. A hollow cylinder of wood or metal about three inches long and corked up at one end is all that is essential. If it be barrel-shaped, the flint lies against its sides, at the most convenient angle for striking sparks into the box. Wet weather In long-continued soaking weather, the best way of keeping a tinderbox dry is to put it into a small pocket hung close under the armpit. Fuel Firewood. There is a knack in finding firewood. It should be looked for under bushes. The stump of a tree that is rotted nearly to the ground, 
has often a magnificent root, fit to blaze throughout the night. Dry cattle dung. The dry dung of cattle and other animals as found on the ground is very generally used throughout the world in default of a better fuel, and there is nothing whatever objectionable to employing it. The Canadians call it by the apt name of bois de vache. In North and South Africa, it is frequently used. Throughout a large part of Armenia and of Tibet, the natives rely entirely upon it. There is a great convenience in this sort of fuel, because, as it is only in camps that fuel is wanted, so it is precisely at old encamping places that cattle dung is abundantly found. Bones Another remarkable substitute for firewood is bones, a fact which Mr. Darwin was, I believe, the first to mention. The bones of an animal, when freshly killed, make good fuel, and even those of cooked meat, and such as have been exposed to the air for some days, will greatly increase the heat of a scanty fire. Their smell is not disagreeable, it is simply that of roast or burnt meat. In the Falkland Islands, where firewood is scarce, it is not unusual to cook part of the meat of a slaughtered bull with its own bones. When the fire is once started with a few sticks, it burns well and hotly. The flame, of course, depends on the fat within the bones, and therefore the fatter the animal, the better the fire. During the Russian campaign in 1829, the troops suffered so severely from cold at Adrianople that the cemeteries were ransacked for bones for fuel. Seaweed makes a hot, though not a cheerful fire. It is largely used. The vrac or seaweed gatherers of the Channel Islands are represented in many picturesque sketches. The weed is carted home, spread out, and dried. Peat Travellers must bear in mind that peat will burn, especially as the countries in which it is found are commonly destitute of firewood, and, besides that, are marshy, cold, and aguish. Charcoal is frequently carried by travellers in sacks. They use prepared charcoal in the east, which is made in the form of very large buttons that are carried strung together on a string. An Indian correspondent informs me that they are made by mixing powdered charcoal with molasses in the proportion of ten to one, or thereabouts, rolling the mass into balls and drying them in the sun. A single ball is called a gull. They are used for igniting hookahs. They are also burnt inside the smoothing iron used by washerwomen in order to heat it. The juice or sap of many plants will probably answer the purpose of molasses in their preparation. Small fuel for lighting the fire. Shreds and fibres. The live spark has to be received and partly enclosed in a loose heap or nest of finely shredded fuel. The substance for making such a nest are one or other of the following list. Dry grass of the finest kinds. Leaves, moss, lichen and wild cotton. Stalks or bark broken up and rubbed small between the fingers peat or cattle dung pulverised, paper that has been doubled up in many folds and then cut with a sharp knife into the finest possible shavings, tow, or what is the same thing, oakum, made by unravelling rope or string, and scrapings and fine shavings from a log of wood. The shreds that are intended to touch the live spark should be reduced to the finest fibre. The outside of the nest may be of coarser, 
but still of somewhat delicate material. Cook should collect them. It is the duty of a cook, when the time of encamping draws near, to get down from his horse, and to pick up, as he walks along, a sufficiency of dry grass, little bits of wood and the like to start a fire, which he should begin to make as soon as ever the caravan stops. The fire ought to be burning, and the kettle standing by its side, by the time that the animals are caught and are ready to be off-packed. Small Sticks There should be an abundance of small sticks, and if neither these nor any equivalent for them are to be picked up, the traveller should split up his larger firewood with his knife in order to make them. It is a wise economy of time and patience to prepare plenty of these, otherwise it will occasionally happen that the whole stock will be consumed and no fire made. Then the traveller must recommence the work from the very beginning, under the disadvantage of increasing darkness. I have made many experiments myself, and have seen many novices as well as old campaigners try to make fires, and have concluded that, to ensure success, the traveller should be provided with small bundles of sticks of each of the following sizes. First, size of lucifer match. Second, of lead pencil. Third, smaller than little finger. Fourth, size of forefinger. Fifth, stout stakes. In wet weather, the most likely places to find wherewithal to light a fire are under large stones and other shelter but in soaking wet weather, little chips of dry wood can hardly be procured except by cutting them with an axe out of the middle of a log. The fire may then be begun, as the late Admiral the Honourable C. Murray well recommended in his travels in North America, in the frying pan itself, for want of a dry piece of ground. To kindle a spark into a flame, by whirling. First, arrange the fuel into logs, into small fuel, assorted as described above, and into shreds and fibres. Second, make a loose nest of the fibre, just like a sparrow's nest in shape and size, and let the finer part of the fibres be inwards. Third, drop the lighted tinder in the nest. Fourth, holding the nest quite loosely in the half-closed hand, whirl the outstretched arm in vertical circles around the shoulder joint. In thirty seconds, or about forty revolutions, it will begin to glow, and will shortly after burst out in a grand flame. Fifth, drop it and pile small twigs around it, and nurse the young fire carefully, bearing in mind the proverb that small sticks kindle a flame, but large ones put it out. By blowing. Savages usually kindle the flame by blowing at the live spark, and feeding it with little bits of stick, just so much as is necessary. But it is difficult to acquire the art of doing this well, and I decidedly recommend the plan I have described in the foregoing paragraph, in preference to it. When the wind blows steadily and freshly, it suffices to hold up the nest against the wind. Sulphur matches are so very useful to convert a spark into a flame, and they are so easily made, in any quantity, out of split wood, straw, etc., if the traveller will only take the trouble of carrying a small lump of sulphur in his baggage, that they always ought to be at hand. The sulphur is melted on a heated stone, or in an old spoon, bit of crockery, bit of tin with a dent made in it, or even a piece of paper, and the points of the pieces of wood dipped in the molten mass. 
A small chip of sulphur pushed into the cleft end of a splinter of wood makes a fair substitute for a match. Campfires, large logs. The principle of making large logs to burn brightly is to allow air to reach them on all sides and yet to place them so closely together that each supports the combustion of the rest. A common plan is to make the fire with three logs whose ends cross each other. As the ends burn away, the logs are pushed closer together. Another plan is to lay the logs parallel with the burning ends to the windward. Then they continue burning together. In the pine forests of the north at winter time, it is usual to fell a large tree, and cutting a piece six or eight feet long off the large end, to lay the thick, short piece upon the long one, which is left lying on the ground, having previously cut flat with the axe the sides that come in contact, and notched them so as to make the upper log lie steady. The chips are then heaped in between the logs, and are set fire to. The flame runs in between them, and the heat of each log helps the other to burn. It is the work of nearly an hour to prepare such a fire, but when made it lasts through the night. In all cases, one or two great logs are far better than many small ones, as these burn fast away and require constant looking after. Many serious accidents occur from a large log burning away and toppling over with a crash, sending a volley of blazing cinders among the sleeping party. Savages are always getting burnt, and we should take warning from their carelessness. Sometimes they find a single scathed tree without branches, which they have no means of felling. This they set fire to as it stands, and when all have fallen off to sleep, the tree tumbles down upon them. Indeed, savages are seldom free from scars or severe burns. They are so cold during the night that they cannot endure to be an inch further from the fire than necessary, and consequently, as they turn about in their sleep, often roll into it. Brushwood If in a country where any a number of small sticks and no large logs can be collected as firewood, the best plan is to encamp after the manner of the Avampos. These, as they travel, collect sticks, each man his own faggot, and when they stop, each takes eight or nine stones as large as bricks, or larger, and sets them in a circle and within these he lights up his little fire. Now the party make their fireplaces close together, in two or more parallel lines, and sleep in between them. The stones prevent the embers from flying about and doing mischief, and also, after the fires have quite burnt out, they continue to radiate heat. Charcoal If charcoal be carried, a small chafing dish or other substitute for a fireplace ought to also be taken together with a set of tin cooking utensils. Fireplaces in boats. In boating excursions, daub a lump of clay on the bottom of the boat, beneath the fireplace. It will secure the timbers from fire. Our primitive kitchen was a square wooden box, lined with clay and filled with sand, upon which three or four large stones were placed to form a hearth. From Burton's Medina. Fireplaces on snow. On very deep snow, a hearth has to be made of a number of green logs upon which the fire may be made. Cooking fires. See the chapter on cooking. Fires in the early morning. Should your stock of fuel consist of large logs and but little brushwood, keep all you can spare of the latter to make a blaze 
when you get up to catch and pack the cattle in the dark and early morning. As you travel on, if it be bitter cold, carry a firebrand in your hand, near your mouth, as a respirator. It is very comforting. Then, when the fire of it burns dull, thrust the brand for a few moments in any tuft of dry grass you may happen to pass by, which will blaze up and give new life to the brand. End of chapter 22